Well, uh, I know that uh, with our little story, <clears throat> that there may be some stories that your parents told you when you were kind of loafing around the house. And uh, there's a story that I found uh, after coming here to the Appalachian Reason. There's a, a kind of a legendary story, probably told with uh, children that were probably when I was a child. Uh, I'm, I'm on my 44th spring, so... Um, uh, you can think back maybe when I was seven or six years old hearing some parents in the mountains tell this story to their kids. But there's a story that was told about a legendary man uh, in the Appalachian Mountains, the most laziest man in Appalachia. And so uh, the story goes is that he was so lazy that uh, the villagers in his town were frustrated with him. I mean, he wouldn't he wouldn't even feed himself. And, and so it got to the point where villagers were fed up. And they were getting ready to put him in a cart and wheel him off to the graveyard and just let him lay there in the cemetery till he died. And uh, anyway, these researchers who were studying uh, Appalachian folklore and, and uh, customs and traditions and art, uh, they came and they heard about this man and they wanted to talk with him. They wanted to write a story down. And so they, they go searching for him. They ask around. So, oh, yeah, yeah, he's in this certain village over here uh, on top of this mountain. And so they go, and when they get close, they ask for directions. And uh, you know, a farmer uh, says, yeah, I think he's up this way. Uh, I've heard of him. But, you know, uh, you know what? I had an amazing crop of corn this year. I have a surplus of corn. In fact, I got a wagon load right here. I'd be willing to give that man if that would help him. And the researchers were, great, that, that'd be wonderful. We'll go and we'll let them know we're, we're heading there right now. And so they go, they enter the village, and, and somebody says, well, you better hurry up. They're getting ready. Wheel them off to the graveyard right now. And they get there, and sure enough, he's in a cart. They're, they're wheeling him over to the graveyard, and they stop and say, wait, 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 wait. We found somebody who will help you. And, and we have this farmer, and he said he'd donate a whole wagon full of corn to help feed you. And the man who's laying in the cart kind of looks up and he says, Well, is the corn already shelled? And they say, Well, no, it isn't. You'd have to do that. Well, you might as well just wheel me on to the graveyard and lay me down to die. And that's the end of the story. And that's what some parents would tell their children. And whenever their children got a little bit lazy, they just say, is the corn shelled or not? And that would just remind their kids to get on the stick. So I know that's a little bit of a silly story, but the truth is when we look in Proverbs, we see some really comical characters when the Bible is talking about a lazy man or a slothful man. And uh, l- listen to this. This is Proverbs twenty six fifteen. I mean, it describes the little story we just said. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but he is too lazy to bring it back to his mouth. Oh, even the word sluggard, which is used for the lazy man. Sluggard is just a comical word. I mean, it makes you think of a great big giant slug just moving real slow on the ground and makes me think of Jabba the Hutt and Star Wars, you know? Yeah. And it's just this big, gross thing, you know? And, you know, uh, the slothful man in Proverbs, he won't plow or plant when it's the season to plow and plant. 
But yet, when harvest time comes around, he'll go out and look in his field and see if there's something there. That, that's how comical the slothful man, the sluggard is in Proverbs. Now, there is, uh, at, the end, at the end of Proverbs, in Proverbs 24, a wise man who goes to observe the sluggard. And he goes to his field and he sees that it's filled with thorns and weeds. It's just overgrown. And the wall around his fields, it's in ruins. And the wise man subs up his, his observation saying, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit. And, uh, you know, a lot of what we read about sloth in the Proverbs makes us laugh. But in reality, if you have to live with somebody like that, it's not so funny. It is not funny. In fact, in the Gospels, when we get to the New Testament and the letters in the New Testament, there is addressing the heart of slothfulness, the heart of a sluggard, and, and what it truly is. And what is defined there in the New Testament is really a hatred of spiritual effort. A hatred of spiritual effort. You might scratch your hand and go, what? I thought we were going to talk about being lazy at work and kind of get sloppy with things. Now we're getting all spiritual about this. Mmm. Wow. Well, you know what? There is something about sloth, why it's listed with the deadly sins. I mean, you kind of go, what's, what's the big deal about being lazy at work? Well, it's not just about being lazy at work. Sloth is a whole lot more. It's a, it's a hatred of spiritual effort. And sin usually involves a condition of the heart, doesn't it? And so this is a condition of the heart. It's just not an outward action. Another word that early Christ followers used instead of of uh, sloth or, or, I mean, excuse me, deadly, deadly sins, they would say capital sins. The idea of being a capital of a, of a country and from that capital all the roads spreading out to every part of the land. In the same way, sloth or laziness starts with the heart, the capital, and can move to every part of our lives. Now, I know that for maybe a good number of people here, being lazy at work, that's not your thing. And, and, and maybe that's not where thorns and weeds are growing up in your field. But I know for myself that there are some other areas that I leave un, un, untended. Other areas that, that uh, sloth creeps in. And you can find some weeds. You can find some thorns in areas of my life. And, it, and if we're not careful, sloth can ruin certain areas of our life. Now, let me, let me just share with you some ways where sloth, laziness, can kind of slip in and sneak up on us in different areas of our life. You know, a, a man or woman can be very engaged with their work. They can work long hours. They can work hard but that sometimes can end up, for some people, being a cover for not doing any work at home. And that there ends up being weeds and thorns there. You know, sometimes sloth can slip into relationships and marriage. You know, I, I think we all like romance. We all like candlelight, nice dinner, 
flowers, a little smoochy smoochy. We all enjoy that, and that's a wonderful thing. But there's another part to love that is commitment and work, isn't it? And if we're not willing to do the work and the commitment, there's no flowers, there's no candlelight, there's no smoochy smoochy. And so we, we learned this, we learned this, and we know that. Now, you know, there's a, a man named Tony Campalo. He's a, a pastor and a, and a speaker up in uh, the Northeast. And uh, he would do counseling with uh, couples, and oftentimes couples that were on the edge of divorce. And they would come to him, and uh, sometimes they would say something like this, well, we're just not, we don't feel like we're in love anymore. And uh, so, so Tony would just ask them some questions, and he'd eventually get around to a point where he would ask them, well, tell me, what was it like when you were in love? Describe to me a week and what you would do in that week when you were head over heels in love. And then they would tell about the things that they would do, they'd say to each other, the way they would act, the way they'd feel. And Tony would be writing it down. And then at the end of the session, that, that session with them, he'd say, well, you know, before you come back next week, I have an assignment for you. And here's your assignment. You're going you're gonna to do all those things that you said that you used to do in a normal week. And they're like, what? And sometimes what would actually happen is, is you know, either both couples or both in the couple or one one partner in the marriage would say but we don't we don't feel that way about each other anymore and tony would say well throw your feelings out the window do the things that led to love do the things that led you to feel the way you felt about each other and that's the way sloth can, can come after us it can sneak into a relationship that way where we don't do the things that we once did in a relationship you know, sloth can also slip into parenting. You know, uh, it can go two ways. You know, it can go to one extreme where you do nothing for your child. You, you just leave a child to themselves and they do whatever they want, whenever they want, and they just end up bringing shame on parents. Or sloth can go the other way. You know, uh, sometimes it's just easier to do the work for your kids that they should know how to do. And, and you'd rather not train them because it'll take longer to train them how to do it because they'll make mistakes and you've got to repeat and you've got to do it over again and you're practically doing it with them. And so you just, well, I might as well just do it myself and I can do it quicker. And sometimes sloth can sneak up on us that way. You know, laziness is a sneaky thing and it can slip into many areas of our lives. But it starts at our core. It starts with the heart. You know, the Latin word that early Christians used for laziness of spirit was acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A, acedia. And they ultimately defined it as an aversion to our relationship with God because of the transforming demands of his love. I'll say that again, acedia. It's, it's an aversion to our relationship with God because of the transforming demands of his love. Thomas Aquinas said that sloth was sadness in the face of spiritual good. And then he had three points to go along with his definition. He said, one, you are made for joy in the love of God. That's what you're made for. And love, too, love is expressed in serving God. And three, if you turn away from serving, you turn away from joy. And you turn away from what you're made for. Because remember, number one, you are made for joy and the love of God. 
So you can see how sloth, how acedia is dangerous to our souls, dangerous to our hearts when it comes to our relationship with God. And you can see an example of this in the parable of talents that Jesus spoke to his disciples. And he was doing three parables in a row, explaining what it would be like when the, when, when the Son of God would come back. And this was the parable that was in the middle, uh, sandwiched between two. And it starts like this in uh, chapter 25 of Matthew, verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who in, called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents? See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, you've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid. And I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. And his master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so I, when I returned, at least I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. I, I, I just want you to know that this isn't about being a good steward of money. This is about being a good steward of your life. Now, being a steward of money is part of life, but just one part. So I don't want you just to be concentrating and thinking about money on this, but the talents are what you do with your life. And what is seen here in this story is that the man who received the one talent wasn't joyfully expecting his master. And in the end, he was called wicked and lazy. The one-talent man, instead of responding joyfully like the other servants did, he had excuses for remaining passive. The way the master responds indicates that those excuses are invalid. They're not real. And it's kind of like the, the man in Proverbs who says, how come I didn't go out and plow my field? Well, because there might be lions out there. I mean, it's just an excuse. It's not real. 
This man had an inversion to his relationship with his master. Fear and dejection were on him. Inactivity and passivity were the outward results of that. This was not the mark of a love relationship. You know, there was no desire to be with his master. There was no desire to please his master. He slipped into despairing resignation. I might as well not do anything. I'm scared. He settled into desperate escapism. I'll just bury it in the ground. Kind of ignore it. Pretend like it never happened. Acedia, an aversion to our relationship with God because of the transforming demands of his love. It brings us to a state of dejection, poisoning our wills, leaving a lack of real desire for anything. And and so oppressive to our minds, it leads us to a hatred of spiritual things and spiritual effort. You know, think of a married couple. You know, it's a beautiful thing when you have that marriage ceremony and we say those wedding vows and, and there's this desire and willingness of unconditional love. But then when it comes to actually being married, you move past the ceremony and you get into being married. We're not so sure about the cost of returning love. We, we, we become a little bit hesitant about this whole giving of unconditional love. We want to receive it, but we're not so sure about returning it. And is that how we approach our relationship with Jesus? Are we like Augustine, praying for chastity, but not quite really wanting it yet because he's not ready to give up the pleasure of his old lustful ways? Are we like Lot's wife, accepting her rescue, but can't quite turn away from the only home and life and friends she has ever known? How many of us need two angels to drag us out of Sodom while we look back over our shoulders for the good old days? You know, are we like the people of Israel, poised to enter into the homeland and the promised rest in Canaan after years of restless wandering, but then who judge upon closer inspection that the dreary desert might not be so bad after all. Again, in talking about the seven deadly sins, it's not something out there. It's something in here. It's something within us, our hearts. And instead of responding with joy to God's love, our hearts would rather avert relationship with Him and slowly succumb to atrophy. Might as well just lay me down on my grave, let me die. But you know what? That's not the picture we get in the scriptures of how a heart responds to grace, is it? I mean, when Isaiah, when he first meets God in the temple, has his vision, Isaiah says he's undone, he's unraveling, he's falling apart. But then God puts his stamp of not guilty on Isaiah, brings the coal to his lips and says, you are clean not guilty. How does Isaiah respond after that? He's not shaking in his boots going, I'm undone. I can't do anything. Instead, what does he say? He says, here am I. Send me. Think about the picture of Zacchaeus, the little man who went to meet Jesus. And Jesus, when he finds him, says, I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And he puts the stamp of not guilty on Zacchaeus as he sits down to a meal and has a meal with a sinner, saying, I accept you. You are my friend. And in that moment, how does Zacchaeus respond? Does he say, well, I'm a sinner. I can't do nothing. I'm bad. 
and I might as well just go away. No, he says, here and now today, Lord, I give away half of my possessions to the poor. And if I cheated anybody out, I'm going to pay him back four times the amount. This is the picture that we see of, of someone who responds to God's grace. It is the opposite of sloth. It's the opposite of acedia. It's the picture of grace activating, activating us. And it's the opposite of the lazy man. It's the opposite of the lazy woman. That man or woman will avoid effort and pull back from anything that takes spiritual effort. If there's expending energy or if I have to change my schedule, whoa, pulling back, stepping back, ain't going to volunteer for that. Nope. Instead, they choose complacency and passivity. You know, sometimes maybe we just need little reminders. These pictures of the grace-activated life. Or maybe it's that sentence or that story that reminds us, I don't want to be the slothful man, the slothful woman. That's not who I want to be. I want to be like Isaiah. I want to be like Zacchaeus. Instead, we should think about the pictures of grace-activated Christ followers that are in the Scriptures. They're, They're described as people who train to be godly. In the picture there of that word of train, it, it's, it's imagery of gymnastics and, and the Olympics. In other places, grace-activated people are compared to runners or boxers. There's movement. There's action. Other places, they're compared to soldiers and workers of the harvest. In Hebrews, the grace-activated man or woman operates in a faith that is rewarded when they diligently seek God. That word seek is like someone beating a path to something, bushwhacking. In the letter to the Philippian people, the Christ follower Paul is pressing on and he's straining ahead. And for the Colossian believers, he is laboring and struggling for them in their faith. We are called as a people to study, to seek and search, to meditate day and night. We are told to do our best, to excel in our gifts. And Jesus himself says, make every effort. To enter the narrow road. And with this spiritual effort, there is fruit in the Christ follower's life. And that grace activated effort is not earning. That grace activated life, grace activated effort is not earning. Grace comes first. And when we look at Jesus, our Savior, He expended great effort to save our souls. Our effort did nothing. Our effort just took us deeper into sin. He did the spiritual work that we couldn't do for ourselves. We couldn't clean ourselves up, but Jesus could. Zeal for God's house consumed Him and bringing you into His kingdom and establishing His throne, bringing you into His house was accomplished by His zeal. Jesus paid it all. He initiated And what will it activate in your life? What will His grace activate in your life? So what's before us is the question of looking at our spiritual lives and seeing, is it characterized by acedia, a hatred of spiritual effort, or is our life characterized by a willing spirit, as the psalmist says, zeal? 
And if you recognize that you've been avoiding the Lord, nursing an aversion to your relationship with God because of the demands of his love, then there is something you can do about that. There is something you can do about that today to change acedia, to change slothfulness in your life. You know what you can do today? You know what the Bible prescribes for us? Rend your hearts. Tear them open. Break them open before God. I mean, what can you do? It's your heart. How do you change it? I mean, you can't spank it. You can't inject it with some sort of drug to make it do something. It's got to be something from God to change us. We've got to rip open our hearts, break them open, and say, God, change us. Take away this hatred of spiritual things and spiritual effort and put in a willing spirit. I can only do this by your power, Lord, by a spirit-controlled life. Rend your hearts. Return to the Lord, for he is compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, Joel 2 says. Sloth, acedia, keeps you from him. And if you continue in it, you are refusing joy, turning away from what you are made for, a relationship with him, a responsive, living relationship, not a one-way thing. And And if you find yourself in this position... And, and you find yourself that there is a sedia in areas of your life, then, then there's, there's things that you need to say to the Lord as you rend your heart. That you need to pray prayers maybe like this, Lord, forgive me for avoiding you. Forgive me for my sense of entitlement that, that you should give me your unconditional love, that I, that I deserve it in some way, but I have chosen not to even respond to it. My sin is before me. I've hated spiritual effort. I've hated things that keep me in relationship with you. Forgive me and help me to return to you. Help me understand your grace. Because there must be something I don't understand about it. Help me understand your grace that I might be activated by it and not by some sense of trying to earn your, your, your approval or earn your love or earn your forgiveness. I know you've given that to me in Jesus. Change me, Lord. Give me a willing spirit. And if you've never prayed anything like that before to the Lord in your life, you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you can also add this to that prayer. Lord Jesus, you are Savior of all. And I know that you died on the cross to rescue me from my sin. To rescue me from deadly sin, and I believe it, from my life. Come into my life. Take up residence within me and show me how to truly live. You will be first in my life, and I will now forever be second. And God, when I, when I forget, I'll repent. I'll rend my heart. Say, change me these are the kind of things that we need to say to God I know maybe coming in today we weren't thinking that this is what we would talk about didn't think sloth or laziness was really about this but I know if you're like me there's conviction in my heart about areas in my life 
And so we need to respond to God. And I want you to know that it's deadly sin. It, It gets all of us. And that's why we need a Savior. That's why we need a cross. It gets me. It gets my family. And it may have gotten you. There was a, a farmer sitting on his porch and a, a man, a neighbor was walking by and wanted to strike up conversation. He asked the farmer, how's your cotton? He said, didn't plant none. I was afraid of the boll weevils. And then the neighbor kind of stumped and said, well, how was your corn? He said, didn't plant none, afraid there would be no rain. And then the neighbor was really scratching his head trying to figure out how to keep the conversation going. He said, well, how's your potatoes? Um, didn't plant none. Afraid of potato bugs. And, uh, and uh, the guy just said, I didn't plant nothing. Just playing it safe. And I just want to encourage you guys, don't play it safe. Not right now. Got a chance to, God is here with us. God, administer to our hearts to give us what we need in a relationship with Him. There's a little paper heart maybe saw that was near your seat or underneath it. I encourage you to pick it up. And if you like, if you need to do something outwardly that represents what's going on on the inside, you can do a little rending of your heart as we worship.